Okay, my friends. So tonight, I advertise that we're doing Erev Tov and I advertise that we're doing Akeda number five, but I'm actually going to do a bait and switch. Tonight is a very special night. It is the birthday, the Yom Haledet, of the fifth Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Sholem Dovber, known as the Rebbe Rashab. And he was a very special rabbi in communist Russia. He was... He was the one who started the yeshiva, the Chabad yeshiva system known as Tomchei Timimim. And he established it for the express purpose of fighting of fighting the communists, particularly the Jewish communists, who were trying to replace Judaism with Marxism and so forth. And he said, we have to make a yeshiva that is going to be able to withstand this mabul, this flood he said, "Whoever." Um, he said that that it's a war. He basically said it's a spiritual war, and he was going to create a yeshiva that is not just going to create scholars, Torah scholars, rabbis, people who can teach and practice the religion, but people who are going to be able to stand up to what's coming. So he had a prophetic sense that it was very, very difficult times were coming. And one of the things that he added in his yeshiva was the study of Hasidut, of the inner dimension of Torah, as a regular part of the study schedule. All of the yeshivas just did Talmud. That's it. If you wanted to study any inner dimension of Torah, mysticism, you do it on your own time, but it wasn't typically done. He said, we start the day with teachings of Hasidus, then we pray. And he taught them how to pray. And then we're going to study Talmud, and he's, we're going to study Talmud in a specific way. And in this way, he inculcated in the students this incredibly powerful, strong, courageous sense of their Judaism, such that when they were put to the test of literally having to give their lives to keep fighting for Judaism, they did it. Many of them ended up in Siberia because of that. Some of them never came back. We don't know what happened to them. And so today is the birthday of the Rebbe Rashab, Chof, tonight. Chof, the 20th of Cheshvan. So I'd like to study with you a ma'amar, a discourse of the Rebbe Rashab. It's a very famous one. It is called Heichaltzu. And it's a, the, the topic is the importance of love loving our fellow Jew and the destructiveness of of uh, divisiveness and it's about Jewish Jewish unity getting along with others and so forth let's have a look at this mimer Heicholzu from the Rebbe Rashab but first I want to show you a picture of him so you know who we're talking about I just googled Rebbe Rashab here you can see a picture passed away in 1920 in um, in Rostov, in the Ukraine. So he would ran, he ran from the from the um, in 1917. He ran for, during the revolution. He ran from Lubavitch and came to Rostov, where he passed away a few years later. And he's buried there. I was by his grave and prayed there when I was in Rostov back in 1993. And uh, he he was considered the Maimonides of Hasidus. 
because he wrote so prolifically and he wrote in such an organized fashion that he was considered the Maimonides, the Rambam of Hasidus. So this is just one of his many, many mamarim. Most of his mamarim are very, mamar, mamar is a discourse, mamar is a discourse. Many of his discourses are very, very deep, profound, mystical. This one, I think, is, even I can understand it. So hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. It has some Hebrew and English, so we can follow along. So this mamar, like all other mamarim, starts with a verse from the Torah, asks a few questions on it, and then it gets into the Hasidic insights that it wants to get to. So here is, it begins with the story that God tells Moshe, Nikom nikmas b'nei Yisrael God wants the Jewish people to avenge what the Midianites had done to them. What did the Midianites do to them? The Midianites got the Jewish people to sin. And God tells Moshe that once that's done, Achar te'asef elamecha. After, after that, 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 that is done, you are going to pass away. Remember, we learned that in, in Chumash. And we, we rem- if you remember that uh, the Jewish people didn't want to, they didn't want to join because they knew if they finished this mission, Moshe is going to pass away. They didn't want him to pass away. So the beauty of the Jewish people, we also see Moshe, even though it meant his death, he went, he went ahead. This is what he got to do. This is what we got to do. So he turns to the Jewish people after getting the command from God. He says, What's Hechaltzu? This is the name of the, of the title of the discourse. Hechaltzu means to arm yourself. Chalutzim ta'avoidu. In modern Hebrew, I think it means pioneers. But in, in the biblical Hebrew, Hechaltzu means to arm yourself. V'yu al midyan, and you shall go against midyan to place the, of the vengeance of God, the revenge of God, the retribution of God, upon Midian. Elef Lamate, 1,000 soldiers per tribe for each of the tribes of Israel, Chol Matot Israel. So 12,000 soldiers are going to go on this mission. Operation Revenge. We must understand. Now this is the, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab asking a question. What is the connection between this war with Midian and the death of Moses? The Torah is clearly, it's not just saying, you know, it's not just telling you, um, oh, by the way, after this war with Midian, Moshe, you're going to pass away. No, if the Torah is telling us to, to us and juxtaposing the two things, Clearly, there's a connection between them, the war with Moses, the war with Midian, and the passing of Moses. That the verse hangs one upon the other. When you finish this war, you're going to die. So the Rebbe Rashab in his analysis says, from here we derive two things. It, the implication is twofold. Ha'alif, the first thing is, First thing is, we see that the, the battle of Midian has to be done by Moses. Therefore, even though it was already said that Sorry, Moses, you're going to die before we go into the land of Israel. This is your punishment for this and that. 
as the Torah tells us back in Parshas Pinchas. So before this command where God tells him, go and take vengeance from Midian, God has already told him, you're going to pass away. At the end of Parshas Pinchas, he says, go up to, the, to Har HaAvarim, Mount Avarim, and you're going to pass away just like Aaron, your brother, passed away. And so it would seem that that should be the end of Moshe's story. And yet, after that, the Torah says, and we call Makom, God is like waiting for him to first wage this battle with Midian. It's not left for this war to happen after Moshe passes away. There were other wars once the Jewish people go into the land of Israel, particularly all those wars are, are fought by Yeshua. So why couldn't this one also be done by Yeshua? Why couldn't Yeshua be the one to take the revenge upon Midian? The Torah very clearly is saying that it has to be Moshe. So this is what the Rebbe Shabbos is, is, is pointing out. And he's asking, why Dafke Moshe? He had to be the one to appoint the people to the war and so on. So first, uh, the Rebbe Rashab in the parentheses is going to give us a one accor- uh, explanation according to Pshat. Pshat means the straightforward understanding of Torah without getting too mystical or esoteric. So he says, Well, Pipashut, that you could just say whatever has to happen before the Jewish people went into the land of Israel, that's under Mo- Moses' jurisdiction. The war of Sichon and Og, and also divvying up the land to Reuven and God in what is now Jordan, Transjordan, as it was called. So therefore, the war with Midian since it happens before the Jewish people cross the Jordan and go into the land of Canaan, this has to happen by Moshe. Joshua takes over once the Jewish people cross the Jordan. That's when he takes over as the as the warrior. Amnam, however, the fact that it says, avenge, then you're going to die. It's not, what, what the Rebbe Shabbat is saying is, that it seems from the verse that he's saying it's not just that Moses has to be the one to do it, it has to happen in his lifetime. Ah. Rishab is saying that from this, it seems that through this war, the perfection of his soul will be attained. The root of his soul will be attained. In other words, we know that every soul comes into the world for a particular purpose. And sometimes it has to come back again because the purpose hasn't been achieved. And so what it's saying is that Moses' soul is achieving its perfection through this war. I mentioned last week, right, the connection. So last week we talked about Sarah passing away when she heard about the Akedah, about the, the binding of her son Isaac. And the Rebbe's explanation that this, this was the ultimate event and experience that, that brought her soul to perfection. So here you're seeing a similar idea that the Torah is, is hinting to the fact that when Moshe finishes this project, 
project Heichaltsu, his soul will have attained perfection. And thus, once he does it, he's going to pass away. That the passing away of a person, of a tzaddik particularly, represents his attainment of the highest possible level of elevation. Which is reached, so his passing, passing of a tzaddik, of a righteous person, uh, represents the pinnacle, the height of his work in this world when he's finished his mission in this world. Upon finishing the task ordained to him by the divine wisdom. So then his soul rises to the ultimate spiritual heights at the moment of his passing. We see this specifically uh, most pronouncedly in the case of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the Rashbi. Of, uh, was buried in Miron, the uh, the author of the Zohar, where he writes about the day of his passing and the great teachings that he was teaching in, in those moments is when the tzaddik reaches his highest heights just before his passing, during his passing. And now we have a new under, new appreciation of this verse and the juxtaposition of the avenge, the avenging of Midian and Moses' passing. So we have to understand all this. What's the connection with the war with Midian? That's chapter one. Any comments, questions? I got a question, Rabbi is it any connection to the median because Moshe spent some time over there and he married a median woman over there too? Interesting. He was very familiar with them and he spent some time with these people. Yeah, very interesting. I didn't think of that. I'm, I'm... Let's see if what the Rebbe Rashab says. But I can imagine that that probably plays into it. Okay, let's go to chapter 2. Before you get to the, to the explanations, there's usually a couple of questions. We also have to understand. Forget about the juxtaposition of Moses. What about this war itself? We have to really understand what it's about. Sorry, I'm going a little too far here, so you can't see the English. Hold on. There we go. So, the main purpose in this thing was to avenge, Jewish people to avenge what the Midians ha- ha- had done to them. In other words, there are wars of the Jewish people uh, uh, that they're going to fight in order to take the land of the Canaanites. But here, it's not a battle for land. It's a battle specifically of retribution. Because if you read the verses, they didn't take the land of Midian. They left it. What was taken by the, the tribe of God and Reuven and the half of the Shevet Menashe was from the lands of Sichon and Og. We didn't take from the lands of the Midianites. As Rashi explains on the verse about Atarot Vidivon. Here there's a parenthesis. So it's kind of like a footnote. So 
Rebbe Rashab is, is saying that according to Rashi, it's clearly they didn't take the land of Midian. But he says, in the, according to the Ramban, Nachmanides, another commentator on the Torah, sometimes argues with Rashi, uh, where it says in Balak, on the verse, Ziknei Midian, that the elders of Midian came to ask uh, Bilam to curse the Jewish people. So he says, Hayam Midian He says that Midian was a part of the land of Sichon. So according to Ramban's interpretation, Midian is something that the Jewish people took. According to this interpretation, Ramban, that the um, the war with Sichon was not complete until they fought the war with the kings of Midian. So, Interesting, the Rebbe Rashab says that the verses don't support Ramban's view, and he's going to go with Rashi, that we didn't take the land of Midian, Sichon is a separate story, and this is purely about retribution. But he lets you know that the Ramban has a different view. But it's interesting that he says, he, he goes with Rashi. The main purpose was for the retribution. It's, as the verse says, So we have to understand this. When God tells Moshe to go on this mission, he says, take vengeance, the vengeance of the Jewish people. But Moshe, when he tells the Jewish people about it, he, he says something else. He says, this is the retribution for God. So Moshe is talking about God. God is talking about the Jewish people. Tzadach Lahavin. We have to understand. Can I just ask about that yeah. for a second? Yeah. Uh, seems like here retribution, yeah. which is ordered by God, is a holy thing. It's a good thing. I mean, right. God's saying this is the right thing to do. Whereas usually we have retribution by individuals is considered your revenge, getting even. Right. And, right. And, you know, but it's not by God. It's not a good thing. Right. right is that, I mean, that's that's where we're differentiating. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So you're taking revenge for yourself versus taking revenge for something done to someone else. Right. That's that's a that's a difference right there. Especially if God is saying to do it, then yes, of course, this is not a, a egotistical revenge coming out of you know desire for control, but rather um, doing what is correct so we have to understand what does this mean retribution of God the Midianites who did they harm they harmed the Jews so why is it a retribution of God why is Moshe calling it retribution for God it's retribution for the Jewish people the Jewish people were the ones who were harmed by the Midianites as it says the Midianites Harass you. What does this have to do with God, and particularly the name of God, as Moshe says, Nikmas Havaya. He doesn't say Elohim. He uses the name of God Havaya, Yudke Vavke, YH and VH, which is particularly this name of God. So now he's going to propose a resolution, but... I'm guessing that he's going to uh, reject it. So let's see what he says. You would say, well, how is attacking the Jewish people 
an attack on God? Well, because the Jewish people are a portion of God. They're a part of God. It's God's people. He kept them as the apple of his eye. If you touch the Jewish people, it's like you're touching the apple of God's eye. So yes, it's the vengeance of God. You mess with my kid, you're messing with me. So, as a result, the taking a vengeance for, on behalf of the Jewish people is basically the same thing as taking retribution on behalf of God. And, but as we suspected, the Rebbe Rashab is going to reject this resolution. Yes, it's true. That is all true. Very good. From the fact that Moshe calls us the vengeance of God and he uses the name of God that is Yudke Vavke, Y and H and V and H. It seems that it's more than the fact that the Jewish people are God's people. No, there's something. It's a. It's a. There's a. There's an offense to God Himself, independent of the fact that there was an offense against God's people, and the fact that He uses the name of God, Yudke Vavke, as opposed to Elohim, for example, tells us that there's something. Some some offense to the name of God, Yudke Vavke, particularly. So it tells us that the klipa of Midian, what's klipa? Klipa literally means a shell, but it's the mystical term, the Kabbalistic term for impurity, for, for evil. So the evil of Midian, the klipa of Midian, is so it's basically the shell of, of, a, of, a, of a nut. Is, you, know, you want the nut, you don't want the shell. The shell is, the, is what is cast aside. So that's why klipa is a metaphor for the impure, for the unholy. So the klipa of Midian is the opposite and it is an opposing force completely, absolutely, to the shame, Havaya, to the name of God, Yudke Vavke. This, that the Midianites caused the Jewish people to sin. This is the expression of their klipa. Pagmu B'shem Havaya. They caused a blemish, so to speak, an obstruction to the revelation of the name Havaya Yudkevavke. So we're calling this, just to clarify, with the name of God, that in English you would spell it with Y and a v, H and a V and a H, the name that we don't pronounce, we, we pronounce it Adonai, etc. Um, that name of God, you can either say Yudkevavke, so you're not actually saying the letters even. You're, instead of the letter hey, you're saying K, Yud, K, Vav, K. Or in, in Chabad tradition, you just call you just reverse the letters. You play around with the letters and you get Havaya. Havaya is the equivalent of Yud, K, Vav, K. So the Midianites, through their evil and what they did to the Jewish people, they caused a a um, obstruction in the revelation. Wait, Rabbi, yeah. um, I missed what did they do to the Jewish people? They, the they caused the Jewish people to sin. They, it says in the Bible, and during the time that they were in the, the desert, in the desert, they caused them to sin. Yeah, right. So after the story of Bilam, where Bilam tried to curse the Jewish people and he failed, so he advises them 
you know, here's something you can do, which is to um, get them to sin. Once you get them to sin, then you'll be able to harm them. So that's why when Moses says to, to, to exact the retribution of God in Midian, it's much more than he met, you messed with God's people. No, it's something specific about the name of God, Havaya, Yudkivavke, that they messed with, and this is what needs to be corrected and fixed. Through this, the obstruction, the blemish that was caused, will be removed. So the question is, why is Midian particularly a counterpart, an evil counterpart to the name of God, of Yudki, of Havaya? One might think that the seven Canaanite nations would cause a greater blemish in God's name, Havaya. So, according to the Kabbalah, the seven nations of Canaan, the Canaanite nations that the Jewish people uh, kicked out of the land of Israel and fought against with, with, uh, with Yeshua, with Joshua, they represent these seven negative attributes. So we know that we, there are seven positive at- attributes, Chesed, Gevura, Teferes, Netzach, Yisoyed, Malchus, in a positive sense, and this and so why we put on the seven the straps of the tefillin, and so forth, they re- correspond to the seven days of the week. But they're also their co- evil counterparts, uh, and they are represented by the seven nations. So spiritually, the idea of conquering the land of Canaan and transforming it into the land of Israel, even though that's something that was um, a mitzvah long ago, the Canaanite nations don't uh, don't exist anymore even though the Palestinians claim that they come from the Jebusites. Um, but, but every mitzvah, even if it doesn't apply in a physical sense, the concept, the spiritual concept behind it still applies. So the concept of conquering the land of Israel from the Canaanites means conquering our own seven emotions in their, in their negative sense. So the, the, the Rebbe Rashab is saying, it would make sense if you told me that the seven nations of the Canaanites, that they were some kind of, of, uh, of, of an offense to the name of Havaya. But why Midian, of all things? Midian is not one of the seven, these seven nations. So we have to understand what is, what is particular about Midian. What is the, the evil that they represent that is a contradiction to the name Havaya. It says that you should arm yourselves from you. And it says So in the third person it should have said means all of you. You should arm yourselves it seems to be all of you. But as we saw, it's only 1,000 per tribe. So it's only some of you.
Heichaltsu means arm yourselves. Heichaltsu meitchem. I'm not catching the the question over here. I don't understand the difference between Heichaltsu and Yeichaltsu. Yeichaltsu and Heichaltsu. But in any case, the question seems to be that Heichaltsu seems to to imply all of them. But we know it's not all of them. So Yeichaltsu seems to be more appropriate since it doesn't imply all of them. And we know that not all of them would go. So, but on the other hand, the fact that it says Heichaltsu means that the, 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 even though there's only a thousand per tribe that are technically going to go, but this command really is to all of the Jewish people. That they need to ready themselves and arm themselves for this war. But this is deviation from the explanation. We're waiting for the Havaya. Well, um, yes, it's going to help us to understand the whole story. All the questions will be answered with the sim- with a similar answer. So he points out also that when it says a thousand to each to the tribes, it should have said from the tribes. Okay, two chapters and only questions. <laughs> it keeps you in suspense. Okay, here we go. I think we're now finally getting to the answer. In chapter three, Omnom Klolosinian who dihine Midian Lashin Modin Mariva. Midian means strife and contention. Iran, does that ring a bell in any Hebrew that you know of? That Madon? Yes. Yeah, Madon Mariva. Yeah, but it's exactly that. Okay. So Midian, the very name, represents strife. In other words, we started off talking about Midian and you know that what they did is they caused the Jewish people to sin, they seduced them, but the, the Rebbe Rashab is taking it to a different place, which is this issue, the real issue with the, the Midian is the strife. Mm-hmm. In the footnote he quotes that Midian in holiness is love and in Klippa it is hatred and contention. V'zeu calling in Klippa's Midian, Yeshua this is what the evil of Midian is, separation and division. It is baseless hatred. What's baseless hatred? He'll explain. And Peirud Halavavot, disunity, the separation of hearts. The people's hearts are not together, they're separated, they're disunited. Disunity. It's not just a flaw. It's the exact opposite, the direct opposite of everything on the side of holiness. Because on the side of holiness, it is everything is unified. And so it's known that this is the main difference between holiness and the opposite side, sitra achara, the other side, that in holiness, everything is, there is, there is unity. And this is what we mean. Uh, this this enables us to appreciate the uniqueness of God's name, Havaya, and the fundamental oneness of that Havaya brings about. So getting back now, we're getting to Yutke Vavke, right? The, this oneness is expressed through the unity and synthesis of the attributes of the intellect and emotive qualities as they exist in the realm of holiness. 
even though in the realm of holiness there are these ten distinct svirot, these ten um, attributes, right? That are the intellectual attributes, chokhmah, bina, das, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, but also the emotive attributes, chesed, givura, tiferes, kindness, strength, harmony, and so forth. Even though you have these ten different uh, attributes, they operate with absolute Harmony, vechinas yichud with unity, viskalalus, and combination legamri. Shizel inyan shemavaya. This is what the name of God Yudkevavki represents, and I don't see him explaining it, so I'm just going to give you what I think, at least as a hint to this idea, is that the name of God Yudkevavki. Each of those letters represents um, part of these ten attributes of God through which God expresses himself, so to speak. So the Yud of Shem Havaya, which is the smallest letter, that represents Chokhmah, which is the spark of, of an idea, which is just like a seed. It's just like, it's very small. That is expanded upon in Bina, which is the second of the ten Svirot, which is represented by the hay. So the hay, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm highlighting the hay right now, the hay has width, it has length, it has breadth, and so that is the fleshing out of the kernel of an idea. That's the second of the of the ten svirot called bina. Then you have the vav. The vav is the six svirot, the six emotive svirot. Chesed, gevura, tiferes, netzach, side. It also the 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 vav is just a long line, and it represents um, uh, movement of of energy from above to below. So you go from the from the intellect, the emotions is, 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 the, is where things are expressed. And through the emotion, God's kindness, for example, so God's energy is bringing the world into existence. That's chesed. And finally, you have the second hay of God's name, yud ke vav ke, that represents malchut, which is the lowest of the ten svirot, and as we learned about in the Tanya, this is the, the word of God that actually brings existence into existence. So these are ten different svirot, but the name of God, yud Kivavki, represents the fact that these are operating in unity. So think of a company, you sometimes have problems. The problem is that this department is doing this, and that department is doing that, the marketing team is doing this, and the uh, people in charge of the budget are doing that, and there's problems. Yudkivavki means that there is unity. There's difference, there is differentiation, there's different things going on. You got chesed, which is kindness, you have gvura, which is strength and, and judgment, but it all works together. And I think that this is in contradistinction to the world of tohu, where you have these ten attributes, but each one is doing its own thing. And you have chaos. That's why it's called tohu. And Yudkivavki is, is associated with the world of tikkun, where the ten attributes are working together. So that's Yudkivavki. Yaakov, can I help you? I need my phone. I'm recording on it. But I do love you. And the klipa is the opposite. So klipa in general is the opposite of this unity. Each, everybody's doing their own thing. Everybody has their own agenda and they're not coming together. 
So he says, So Yaakov says, so here he's going to contrast Jacob and Esau, Jacob representing the realm of holiness and Esau the realm of impurity. So Yaakov, when Esau offers him, offers him uh, help, he says, I got everything. Yesh li kol, I have all. Loshin hiskalalus, which is the same word that you use for incorporation, for uh, combination. The word klal, which is like klal Israel, the community of Israel, is called a klal. Ve'esav, but Esav says, yesh li rav. He also says, he has, you know, he doesn't need anything. But he says it and expresses it in a different way. He doesn't use the word kol. He says rav, which means I have a lot. Says the Rebbe Rashab, rav represents a lot and things that are disun- disunified, multiplicity, dis- um, disintegration. So you see it in the choice of words that Yaakov makes and Esav makes to make the same point, but they make it differently because Yaakov from the realm of holiness and particularly from the realm of Tikkun, Esav is actually associated with Tohu. Uh, Yaakov says this word kol, which means he has a lot of stuff, but they're all unified for the, for, by one purpose, which is to serve God. And Esav says, I have a lot, but it's all, it's all, um, it's all separate. Each thing is, is, is doing its own thing. It's not unified since he's not engaged in the service of God. So each thing has its own uh, agenda. There's no unity there. When it comes to Yaakov, even though he had 70, there were 70 souls, 70 people in his family, but it says, nefesh, um, it calls them 70 souls, but the word nefesh is singular. It doesn't say nefashot. He uses Lashon Yachid, the singular, to say that the 70 souls of Jacob were unified. So not only everything that he had, his material possessions were one, but his, the humans that were in his party were unified. Lashon Yachid. And it's interesting that by that time, when this verse is said, that 70 went down to, to Egypt, Jacob, Yosef was at peace. The brothers and the Yosef were at peace at that time. So it certainly fits that he said nefesh because they're from the realm of holiness. Even though you have 10 svirot, you have the three intellectual svirot and you have the seven emotive attributes and there, should, there's some, there, is, there is usually a conflict between what you know and what you feel. The mind is saying one thing, the heart says something else. And this is also, he says, by the way, the 70 souls, what that represents, it represents each of these seven attributes that we talked about before and they're, they're parallel in the seven Canaanite nations that you have these seven attributes as they are made up of the 10 attributes as is known. So even though they're very different, they're intellectual, they're emotive and the intellect has its three different attributes that are also in conflict and the emotions are in conflict and yet, in the service of God, they're all united in the world of Tikkun, in the world of Jacob, in the world, in the realm of holiness. But Esav, by contrast, he only had six people. And yet, it refers to him in the plural, nafshot, uh, l'shon rabim, in the plural. Why? Because Esav, even though it's only six, 
it's plural because each one is doing his own thing. They don't have that uni, unity. And so it is in their root. So I mentioned earlier, So in the in the in the realm of tohu. So just very quickly, we I think we talked about it in the past, but the Kabbalah talks about God first creating a world of tohu. But the ten attributes appear in the, in a in a manner of tohu, which means chaos. That they are separate branches. That means you have these ten attributes. Chabad, Chagas, Nehim, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, kindness, strength, etc. But each one is doing its own thing. There's a great, great intensity. Each of these attributes has great intensity. And the integration, there's, there's no integration. There's no humility. There's no humility of how we're going to work together. It's powerful. It's loaded with energy. That's the world of To. It creates chaos. Whereas in the world of tikkun, the energies are not as, as intense, but there's integration. In the, world, in the words of Kabbalah, the vessels are expansive. Where in the world of tohu, the vessels are sparse. So the light, the energy is too much, and the vessels shatter. In the world of tikkun, the light is diminished. But the, the vessels are expansive. So Hamidus the Toyo Loyu Khoilam in the world of Tohu, the emotions could not tolerate one another. The Chesed Midasagvura. Kindness couldn't tolerate the trait of might, strength, judgment. And and conversely, strength and might could not tolerate the world, the attribute of kindness. Therefore, therefore, it says of them, of the of the the, the world of Tohu, the the uh, kings of Edom, right? Kings of Edom, who are Esav is the is the uh, manifestation of Tohu. They reigned and they died. That there was this shattering of of the vessels. So that's why in the realm of Klipa and Sitrachra you have. This it's it's characterized by by disunity, and this is the klipa of Midian, Shuhamadon, Viriv, Bifchinas, Aperet, Chulit, the qualities of strife and contention and separateness. Okay, so let's stop there because you got to stop eventually, and. Uh, <laughs> Open it up to any questions or comments. Well, there's so um, much, there's so much in this that it's it, it from from unity, which comes from the highest dimension, right? From godliness or holiness, which is completeness, right? Yeah. And that unity comes comes down from that to our own soul, which is which is part of the wholeness, right? And our soul, our soul is like fractally part of the wholeness of, of God, but it, it, it represents that even at the smallest part. But it's so easy to move to disunity, this contrast that's always there, right? Even right. in good things that work against each other can be disunity. Yeah. It's really amazing. It's a very powerful Yes. Method. Yeah, so, you know, to go back to things we've talked about in the past, the godly soul is from Tikkun, and so there's unity. The animal soul is from Tohu, like Asaph, uh -huh. 
Okay. And so that's why you have the disunity. You, the animal souls don't get along so well with each other. The godly souls get along very well. Right, right. Wow. So Midian was not the only um, nation around. Um, so God didn't send the Israelites to fight with everybody. He right. said specific, specific ones. Um, so my guess is Midian did something very special here. <laughs> that they uh, uh, you know, deserve that uh, uh, retribution. Right. And maybe what you said is, well, because I don't know that very well, but maybe what you said is that the techniques that they were using against the Israelites were uh, determined, determin what do you say, like the catastrophic or... Uh, um, Detrimental. That, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Um, in the future, had they not be uh, annihilated, um, maybe they weren't just fighting the Israelites. Maybe they were penetrating them from the inside, like uh, convincing them to yes, you know, worship other gods. So exactly. basically, that's what that's the peruv part, the the separation part, right? Um, versus other nation who just wanted the territory. So it was a pure fight, one over another. Uh, it was not an ideological uh, fight. It was, uh, it was territorial, and this one was really... Spiritual. Spiritual. That yeah. Meant yeah, that's true. Right. So, yeah, so the other nations who attacked the Jews physically, we don't find this, uh, this similar type of thing. Midian, who attacked them spiritually, has a special retribution. But the, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling with it myself. Maybe we'll see as we as we go on further in the Mimer. But the Rebbe Rashab is is putting uh, Midian as you know strife, particularly this out concept of disunity among people. Right, it's not disunity between man and God per se, because right. you know that's uh, you know. That's a general concept of, of you know, rebellion against God and so forth. I think he's, the 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 mimer specifically is about disunity amongst people. So I'm wondering how that relates to the story of Midian of them getting to sin, seducing them, and yeah. getting them to worship idols, and how that relates to disunity among people. But um, definitely, they did something unique, and that we know yeah. that it was was to get the Jewish people to sin. And in a way, this is worse than a physical thing because the physical thing you can recover from. And now uh, remind me, Itro was Itro was the father-in-law of Moses, right? And he was a Midianite, right? He was a priest, and he also advised him to go in a certain way, you know, with the, to yeah. to put the shoftim, to put the judges, and exactly. all this. So delegate. Um, was he, was the Midianite favorable at one point and turned to be unfavorable or? No, I think the Midianites were, were uh, I mean, Yisro was an outlier among the Midianites, right? They, they ostracized oh, him. I see. His, his daughters couldn't uh, get water from the well till the shepherds harassed them. That was the first story of Moshe going after once he leaves Egypt. So, yeah, the Midianites, I don't think were... Uh, or ever our friends, um, 
yeah, Yisrael was was uh, was a rebel among the Midianites. Okay, so we have from the Mimer, we have the story, we have the questions. How does it connect to Moses? Moses' death? Why Moses? Why couldn't it wait till Joshua? This is like the culmination of his life, this fight with Midian. What does that have to do with the name of God, Yudke Vavke, per se? And why is this battle with Midian? Why, who's Midian? Why, why are they so terrible and not the, as opposed to the seven, seven Canaanites? And what he started to explain is that Midian it comes from the word Madon Umriva, which means fighting. And he said, this is the antithesis, that was the word I was looking for, is the antithesis of Yudke Vavke. Yudke Vavke represents unity, and the realm of unholiness represents disunity. Powerful energies of Tohu that don't get along with each other. Chesed can't get along with Gavura, Gavura can't get along with Chesed, and so forth. That's the realm of Esav, whereas the realm of Yaakov is the realm of Tikkun of Yudke Vavke. And so Midian is the antithesis of Yudke Vavke, and we didn't get to it, but apparently this is why there's a special battle against Midian with which Moshe is, has to, Moshe, Dafke, not Yoshua, but Moshe has to be the one to battle this this uh, opposing force of unity. Why Moshe? We'll find out in the next installment. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, by the way, Rabbi, one last yeah. thing. Uh, going back to your story in the beginning with uh, Russia and where the rabbi came from. Yeah. There was an article just uh, this morning in an Israeli newspaper that Chabad had raised up the bar with uh, Russia asking for the Schneerzon <laughs> right. uh, uh, book library. That's right. Yeah. And they're now, uh, you know, going to the Supreme Court in Israel to try to confiscate uh, Russian assets in Israel. <laughs> oh, um, I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> I did not see it. Yeah, but that's part of it because the Rebbe Rashab yeah. left Lubavitch, which is like a little town yeah. uh, near Smolensk. And he, um, you know, brought the books with him, but it was taken. It was, and the, now it's still in the Russian, uh, Russian government's hands. But he was their museum, I think. Yeah. yeah. But he was a very, very great man. Very, it was a fighter. He was very tough, very courageous. And his son, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, who took over from him in 1920. You know, his father trained him from a young age to be a Jewish leader. From the age of 15 already, he was sending him on missions. To um, And he said, you know, he can take he can take over. If I pass away, he can take over. And he even said, you know, I'm going up. Um, I don't, I'm, 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 I'm leaving. And his wife said, well, who's going to take over? He said, well, my God, we have my son. He was 15 years old at the time. And he passed away in 1950, but, you know, he was... Where, where did you say uh, he, he is from? Which part of the... Uh, uh, Lubavitch. Uh, but no, but he's N from Ukraine? Or from near, it's near Smolensk. This is in Russia. In Russia. Too. Yeah, but then he, in, in 1917, he moved to Rostov, which is in Ukraine. Now Chabad is very active oh, in Rostov. I wonder if he knew Troitsky personally. <laughs> Rostov is in Russian Federation too, it's not in Ukraine. Oh, 
Okay. It's a basic where the Cossacks, you know, Don Cossacks over there, this capital of Don Cossacks. Rostov is in Russia. Rostov Nadanu. Rostov Nadanu, exactly, yes, it's in Russia. Okay, so, yeah, he's buried there. And I've been there to to the grave there, and I, I was just watching a video of the Chabad in Rostov, Rabbi Danzinger. He did a very nice video about him. And, you know, uh, the custom when a couple gets engaged in Chabad, they go to the Rebbe's grave. Wow. Because the way it always was in, in, in Hasidic tradition, you get the Rebbe's blessing to, to uh, you know, that this is a good shidduch good match so the Rebbe passed away you can't really uh, I mean maybe you can but uh, I'm not even sure exactly how you get the Rebbe's blessing so the way it's done is once you decide you're getting engaged you go to the Ohel you go to the Rebbe's grave you both pray on the different sides the men on the men's section the woman on the woman's section you come out of the Ohel then it's public it's also it's very, kept very private nobody, nobody uh, you don't talk about it until it's done deal Right, because you don't want it. rumors getting out. They're getting engaged, and oh, it's off of this. So you keep it very quiet. And I then, think it's amazing how, how how he had the courage to stand up not only to the Soviets, yeah. but to the Russian Jews who were siding with the Marxists against yes. God. Yes, yes, that was his. That's admirable. Yeah, though no, they came after him. They were they were very uh, very <laughs> ideological. So um, it's kind of a strange thing now that. You know, the moment that you come out of the Ohel, which is basically a cemetery, you're at a cemetery, and this is like this great festive moment that you're announcing your engagement. So it's like the picture, first picture of the couple is at a cemetery. So it's very unusual. It's also, you know, the, the joke is the way you, the way you can propose in Chabad, you don't have to say, will you marry me? You could just say, do you want to go to the Ohel together? <laughs> Because <laughs> that's going to mean the engagement, and people are waiting for you in the you know in the shul outside, and you know that's where the that's the the inner circle is there for a lachaim, a quick lachaim. So in in Russia, in Rostov, and not just in Rostov, they'll come from you know far and wide to go to a a holy place to establish their their uh, their new life together, their engagement. So there was part of the, the video showing what's happening with, with Judaism in Rostov today is uh, there was a couple. It was a couple. One of them was from, I forgot where they were from. They weren't exactly from Rostov, but they had come to Rostov to say some prayers at the grave of the Rebbe Roshab as a means of uh, finalizing their engagement. And um, just a very incredible person who led this fight and passed it on to his son, who in 1920... From 1920 till 1927, was fighting with the um, mostly the Jewish communists who were going after him, and he was fearless in trying to keep the yeshivas open, keep the mikvahs open, and sending his shluchim, his emissaries. He made a pact with nine other uh, Hasidim. With nine Hasidim, he says, "We're in this to the death." Literally, krisut brit. And some of those people actually died. They were sent to Siberia, never came back. And the Rebbe, the Rebbe himself, was almost killed in uh, in prison, and you know, miraculously was saved. Nineteen twenty-seven, they kicked him out of the country. So this all started with the Rebbe Rashab in 
starting this yeshiva, which goes till today, and, um, you know, training his son and how it's done. And it was very tough, very tough. There's a story with him and Rabbi Chaim of Brisk. Rabbi Chaim of Brisk was a, a, a leader from Lithuania. He wasn't a Hasidic leader, but him and the Rebbe Rashab were on the same page in this kind of zealousness that they had in protecting protecting the Jews and Judaism from these, you know, secular secular ideas. And there were these meetings where the rabbis would be call, called together and there was various decrees that were the government was making that would try to interfere with how Jewish education was going. And there were some rabbis who were like, okay, we can go along with it, it's not so terrible. And the Rebbe Rashab and Rabbi Chaim of Brisk, they were the hardliners. They said, no way, this is terrible, you can't do this, so on and so forth. And there was once a meeting of such where the Rebbe Rashab was fighting like a lion and Chaim of Brisk was with him on it and they didn't win. They couldn't. They did. They they couldn't. They they lost. You know, the the government was having its way, or there was a vote, and the Rebbe Rashab was very very disturbed by it. And Rabbi Chaim of Brisk told him, "Lubavitcher Rebbe, you know, we did all we can. Like, there's no, no nothing more we can do. So you know, it's it's done." And the Rebbe Rashab didn't accept that. He said, it, he, "He didn't. He didn't look at it that way. As you know, you do all you can, and then." You move on. No, he says if if the thing is not done, is it bothered him? He couldn't he, he couldn't take it. So um, he was a fighter and very very courageous. And so we owe a lot. We owe a lot to him. You know the chabad that we have today came through his courage and through his leadership and through his vision of what would be. So may his merit, whose birthday is today, his merit shine, shine upon all of us and all of our community and bring healing to anyone in need of healing, David Hillel ben Yudis, and all in need of blessings, of parnasah, of shiduchim, of blessings with children, blessings with parents, blessings with all that we need, we should have in the merit of Rabbi Shalom Dov Ber, the Rebbe Rashab, Brachot Ad Beli Dai. Well, thank you, gentlemen. This has been another wonderful session of Hasidus. And I hope you'll be able to fall asleep tonight without having all the answers. <laughs> okay. All right. Have a good thank night. You.